Welcome to Prop Chat. We are here to talk about property, the ups, the downs, and how you can get started in property investing. And now, here's your host, Dave McGlashan. Hello and welcome back to Prop Chat. First and foremost, apologies for the brief hiatus we took over there. We, we got a little busy, um, but what we're doing is getting straight back into podcasting by giving you some of our recorded content, some of our live webinars that we've been doing. Um, so there's a nice big backlog for you guys to work through. I uh, really hope you enjoy it. If you want to catch these live, it happens on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 1 o'clock on our Facebook page. You're welcome to join us. Otherwise, the recordings will always come up over here on the podcast, so you're welcome to catch up here. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gents, and welcome to yet another live update from the SA Property Investors Network. And this has all got to do with, you know, how is COVID-19 affecting us as South Africans? And if, if you are a regular, you'll know that we've been running these for about five weeks. Here's a great thing, ladies and gents. If you are new to our, our live weekly updates, we have been recording all of these live streams and we've had the banks, we've had the CEO of Tough, we've had Michelle Dickens from TPN, Saul Nestain, we've had a variety of property practitioners and professionals around South Africa. Here's the great news for all of you. It's available. If you all write the specific email address uh, down now, we'll also post it as the Facebook link. So write this down and go there now if you are new to these updates. It's www.joinsappen.com forward slash COVID-19. It's free to register and you'll see all the pre-recorded videos, the PDFs we have from EPSA Bank, and there's a whole range of value for you for free just to keep you up to date. Now, I'm very excited about today because, you know, I was thinking to myself last week, we've had, you know, attorneys on here, we've had the banks, we've had the finance guys, an update that I haven't seen very often on any platform is the insurance world. What's happening with insurance? Are insurers actually paying out? Are they backing off? What is the attitude of insurance companies in South Africa? And we're very fortunate to have James Paris from Sap and Drive, who's got a lot of experience in that field. So, hey, James, how are you doing? Thanks, Andrew. Yes, very well. Thanks. Thanks for the invite. Excellent. I will be coming back to you in a minute, say, James. Um, And then, you know, what's very relevant is tomorrow we are going, as all of you do know, level four um, in lockdown. And I think it's very important that we understand what does that mean for us as property investors? What's happening at the deeds office? So for that, I've got Bruno Samal and I've got um, Leonora Swart from Bruno Samal Attorneys. Hey, uh, Leonora and hey, Bruno. Hey Drew, it's good to it's good to be on again. Good to Morning, see you Andrew. there, Leonora. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being that I can join it's you. It's a pleasure. So this is what I'm going to do, ladies and gents. I think what's how I want to run this session is I'm is we will start with James first, and we will and once we and once we are finished with you, James, going through all the insurance, we will then jump to Bruno Samal and Leonora. Now, ladies and gents, if you're sat there, what I want to know from you now, I've got Facebook up here, just like you are all obviously on Facebook. Can you please let me know where are you in the country? Are you, are you in Johannesburg, Peter Maritzburg, Durban? Let me know now. I am looking out for your posts. Let me know now. Where are you in the country? Durban, Cape Town, Peter Maritzburg. Let me know. Okay. Post on there. Let me know where you're in the country. And again, let us know, you know, are you a landlord? Do you have tenants? Are you a property investor growing your portfolio? Let us know. Are you a landlord, an investor um, looking to invest in property? Let us know now on Facebook. 
And that's the thing, ladies and gents, if you know of anyone that may have been affected by insurance claims or um, you've got a property going through, let us know in the chat box. Engage with us. This isn't just about us standing here and presenting to you. This is you engaging with us as well. So I want to make sure that you're all on there. I can see there uh, Ross Johannesburg, some P-Wares from Peter Maritzburg. Hey, Howard, good to see you there from Joburg. Chantal's Johannesburg, Bruce Lee. Hey, Bruce from the East and that's where the cha-ching is. Uh, Rion Des Despatch, whatever that is. Putti Bella Bella. Hey, Putti, good to see you there, brother. Michelle Swart. I wonder who Michelle Swart is. Tembekusi, Peter Maritzburg, Pumza, Durban. Excellent. So here's the thing, ladies and gents. Now let me know. Are you a landlord, a tenant? Are you looking to get started? Please interact with me. As soon as I get the interaction, I'm going to start and tag your friends. Remember to tag anyone that you know that may be affected by, you know, by COVID, uh, going into level four of COVID, um, someone that's buying a property, selling a property halfway through, um, or perhaps insurance claims, because I am going to be taking your, uh, your live questions. So I've already, through Facebook, I've already printed some of the questions off we've had for James and Bruna and Leonora, but now is your time to ask specific questions. Paul Adams, uh, Cape Town, Tom, jo Johannesburg, shoot accommodation, precious. Okay, great. Keep those posts coming and remember to tag your friends in. Um, now what we do have, um, and don't forget about, um, we'll, we'll post, I'll ask Michelle to post on there for us, the uh, COVID-19 link. Remember to go there and to join. Okay, I'm going to give you a few seconds just to do that. And then James, you will be coming over to you. Okay, so James Paris, are you ready? Yes, we are. Thanks, Andrew. That's great. Okay, James, so I think what's important is before we get into the questions, could you explain what SAP and Drive is? But more importantly, who are you? What's your background? Just to give this context, and then we'll go into the questions. Perfect. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um, I've uh, been associated to uh, SAPN probably for about three years now um, and involved in insurance for about 17 years, uh, probably about 12 of those in an executive position in uh, either a brokerage or an independent firm. Um, so had, had experience and uh, exposure to the biggest insurers, the smallest insurers and in every aspect of insurance from claims to underwriting to um, uh, starting a business, selling a business, uh, dealing with insurers and running their, their, their profit centers as well. So been extensively involved in that. And then also property myself. I'm, I'm very, uh, very avid property investor as well. Okay, excellent. Thank you, James. Um, so James, you know, what's your perception of how insurers are responding to COVID-19? As in, are they running away? Are they actually paying claims? What have you seen in, in, in the insurance industry? Well, I think, Andrew, it's no surprise to any of us that the financial services landscape has been changing dramatically over the past couple of years. Um, one of the issues is um, the ability for the insurer to touch the consumer directly. Um, and this has manifested in, in many, many uh, attempts to, to develop technology so that we could, uh, so the insurers could engage with us as consumers um, on a very real level. So they, they're asking for us to share information we would never have shared. Uh, they've realized that insurance uh, is dependent 
on knowing your customer better than you ever have in the past. So I think the industry has done that very nicely and, 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 and committed themselves very well to do that over the past couple of years. I think the issue is, have they done it um, in the most efficient manner? Well, the insurance industry isn't very no, really known for being efficient. So uh, when, we, when we face um, a, a catalyst, and this is how, what I see COVID-19 being, is it a catalyst to change in the insurance industry. So they know it's important. There's no real need to go and move uh, apart from where the uh, consumer is pushing them. And now COVID-19 would bring that catalyst. So insurers are not running away from claims. Um, we found that. And, and I mean, I, I'm, I've got a very uh, uh, independent view on the financial services industry in South Africa because I, I am a consumer and I am a purporter that in, uh, financial services there to assist business and assist people in achieving their financial goals. And I think given the um, various matrix that are that are allowed or um, insurers have at their uh, disposal, if consumers engage at the right level, yes, they can grow uh, and protect themselves from financial ruin. Um, insurance, an insurance contract, to answer your question, is, is not an, anyone's opinion. It's black and white. It's a legal document. You enter into a contract with an insurer. They cannot get out of a claim. Um, but much of it is left to your own behavior as a consumer or a business owner. So you can invalidate your own insurance rights. And if you don't take that journey correctly, in terms of your risk mitigation all the way through to your claim, you're going to put yourself in a very bad position. So let me give you a very practical example of it. One of the reasons why we started Sap and Drive is to give people um, the ability to, to start from end to end in terms of managing, managing their risk journey. Insurance is one part of that risk journey. That's your risk transfer. You only transfer what you can't afford to, to hold on yourself. And that's when an insurer comes in. What people get wrong and just they look at the insurer as the be-all and the end-all. And then when the claim isn't paid for whatever reason, and some of them right, some of them wrong, um, then people feel disgruntled and they say insurers again looking after themselves. So um, are insurers running away from claims? No. Is there a lot of uncertainty for insurers themselves? Absolutely. Absolutely there is. And James, have you seen any claims being paid out in the last few, uh, in the last few weeks while we've been in lockdown? You know, whether that's a, a general business claim or a rental claim or anything like that. So, so um, I'll answer that question in two 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 parts. So, um, one of the challenges that insurers are finding is the the operational capacity to because uh, remember you traditionally have thousands of people that are used to going to a call center, used to going to a, a business. Now we're in lockdown. Um, insurers aren't really geared as the rest of uh, us as entrepreneurs are geared geared to have these sort of meetings. So they're finding themselves very uh, um, in very challenging times to process claims. So normal claims, your, your, your normal uh, sort of peril type of claims, your fire, your burst geezer, those things are being settled um, and, and they're being dealt with. The, the, the more... Um, uh, relevant type of claims as it relates to COVID are, are, is, a, is a place where we're struggling. So um, let me give you a class of insurance that is affected um, dramatically when it comes to, to COVID, and that's your business interruption. So if anything happens that you cease to trade or your turnover is reduced dramatically, you've got a section in insurance that you can insure your business for your turnover. And one of the things is they're saying that there's a general treaty exclusion from the reinsurers. They're saying that we cannot pay any claims as it relates to infectious diseases or pan pandemics, which these many businesses that are reliant on being open, reliant on having footfall uh, to, to now having their, their, their turnover um, exposed to dramatic reduction and their businesses closed. And that's why they would opt for taking out that sort of cover. Now, there's, there's been a lot of... Um, 
communication throughout the industry to say no no business interruptions as a result of uh, um, COVID will be considered. But uh, saying that, we've seen, and I'm very close to many brokers, and I've seen two, uh, uh, one example of uh, two claims for business interruption as it specifically re relates uh, to COVID and one up to a million rand that have already been settled by a very large insurer. So that's the one side. Yes, we've seen claims being uh, paid. The other side is from the 1st of June, there's a general exclusion that's been put out in the market to say anything that, uh, uh, any loss you suffer as a result of COVID, whether it be business interruption, et cetera, will not be covered by insurers. So it's a general treaty exclusion. So it's not that South African insurers have decided we're not going to cover this anymore. It's that they, um, they've been instructed by their reinsurers, which are all international firms, that this isn't covered. And then that leads us to a more complicated discussion during it. So it's very complicated. Many of the insurers uh, are, are, are doing their best to communicate. And um, many consumers are left in a position where they're feeling like they're not being uh, communicated with clearly. But um, so the issue is in that is how can exclusion apply from the 1st of June for COVID when COVID happened before the 1st of June and I had the cover? So how are insurers going to deal with that? I suppose time will tell. But the general consensus is the insurers and, and they've been called on by government and the Prudential Authority and the Financial Services uh, Services uh, um, Authorities to, to, to assist consumers. Um, sure. So I suppose we can get more granular than that and go to how does it affect rental guarantee and are those being paid? But I suppose that's a different question. Absolutely. And, and uh, James, are you seeing, you know, your general broker, are they really equipped to deal with the amount and this type of claim? So, so, so brokers and insurers, uh, whether it be a direct insurer or insurers that support brokers or brokers that, that are, are client-facing, uh, traditionally haven't embraced technology to the point that other industries have. Um, the uh, financial authorities have released a, uh, a notice or a bulletin to, to insurers or accountable institutions to make sure that they, they, they uh, embrace technology so far as they can um, to assist uh, um, uh, consumers. But that's, that's a very limited approach that they're taking because it, it, it deals with some of the, um, uh, the Financial Intelligence Centre uh, uh, Act and regulations that says know your clients and know your clients on an ongoing basis. So they say get involved with that and use technology to do that well. That's not filtering down to the rest of the policy administration and the, uh, the engagement with clients directly. So my view, and this is my view, have been, having been involved in volume and affinity insurance and been involved in many brokers and many insurers, is that generally no. The traditional man on the street type, mom and pop type broker are not adequately equipped to engage with new business and new clients or clients at scale. But on the other end, they know their clients very well. So they are able to pick up the phone and sort out an insurer. So on the one side, are they able to scale their businesses using technology? No, they haven't embraced that. Is it going to come? Yes, the market will dictate that that will eventually happen. How they do that, it's, it's quite a complicated journey. And then on the other side, brokers sure. are really good at knowing their clients and sorting out insurers. And insurers are generally willing to engage. So, the, so there's a question from Howard Matheson here. And if we go back a few minutes, uh, James, you were saying that, you know, in the terms um, of agreement, terms and uh, agreements in the contract, you said something about if there's a pandemic, something like what's happening now, that this contract is not in void, right? As in they, they won't pay out. Um, mm -hmm. Can the insurance companies change that? Can they actually change the terms and agreements? Terms of so, agreement. Yeah, um, the the uh, financial service regulations, or, or what we what we refer to as the uh, the FACE Act, which is the act that governs financial services uh, uh, and how they're sold in South Africa, says that 
a client or an insurer can give notice to change the um, uh, to either cancel a contract or change the terms of the contract. So this specifically or more specifically deals with how an insurer will engage with its customers, um, where they will they will then give a thirty days notice of any exclusion or any amendment in any way to a contract. Uh, so yes, they can change it, and this is what I specifically refer to. So there was a um, a, 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 a uh, an exclusion clause that was uh, released in the market, uh, effective the 1st of June, I think it was, that says any contagious disease, any losses as a result of a contagious disease or a pandemic will be excluded going forward. Um, and that, that, coming back to my point on on, on uh, business interruption, for example, uh, that's got a massive effect on that. So, so look, I think each one is, is is going to have to consider their position in terms of their business, and uh, but generally the, the the answer is no, it's not going to be covered from a business interruption point of view. Rental insurance is a different story; it could get a bit more complicated. But uh, I've got a view on that which I'd like to share a little bit later if we get the job. Sure, absolutely, James. And I think will be useful for for everyone listening. Um, you know, Sholfa Nikago was just saying, you know, you always you always see the effectiveness of your insurer once you need it or, or once you need them. If anyone on the group listening has has actually applied for uh, or in the in the property industry, if you've got a tenant and the tenant has not paid rent, I want to know: Have you tried to claim against your insurer for loss of rent, whether you're using the, the, the likes of Rentmaster or whoever it may be? If you're listening to this and uh, you are a landlord and your tenant did default, have you claimed on your rental insurance? Let us know because I've had mixed feelings, James. I've had people say, "Yes, I have claimed. I got paid." Paid out, and then I've heard stories where before the rental insurance company paid out, they had a chat to the landlord. They looked at, well, look, look, Mr. Landlord, before we do pay out, have you communicated with your tenant? Is there another way you could deal with this? Could you get the relief? Could you do a deferred payment? Um, so, James, what's your take on that? So, so I'm going to give an example from from everyday life, uh, which we I suppose we've all seen now. Uh, all those with children, you know, we we. We kind of get to a point in, 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 in South Africans, maybe it's a, it's a South African mind, uh, mindset where, you know, I pay school fees, the education of my child is now up to my, 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 my child's school uh, or, or um, bring it back to insurance. I pay insurance, my, my risk management or my risk mitigation is now up to my insurer. And that's where people start getting this feeling that the insurer is really not on their side. The insurer is, is, is oblivious either way to the, uh, the consumer's emotions at the point of claim. Um, they go according to the contract, which is w- what they should be doing. And if they step out of line in terms of what they should be uh, fulfilling in terms of their own obligations, you've got recourse against the, the authorities being the umbud or whatever it is. Um, so that's where people get to that point where they're feeling there. Um, coming back to your risk mitigation. Um, so what is the journey all the way up to the point where you where you claim? So take your rental guarantee in, uh, in, uh, insurance, your standard contract. Um, before we found, uh, or our experience was, and even as a lander, uh, a, a landlord, is that if you if you got to a point where you would claim, um, generally your insurer would look at it. Was there was there a trigger event? The trigger event in this case is that the person didn't pay and the lease was cancelled. Yes, pay. Um, but now the insurers are, are, are taking more of a, an evolved approach to say, all right, why did they not pay? Um, what, can we make a plan? Can you work with your tenant better? What, what, the reason, you know, is that their the income was reduced. So now can you get some sort of relief from your bank and then claim for the for the balance? So I think that it's more of an engagement than what there's ever been. But remember, your insurer is never, ever going to warrant that. They're just going to put conditions on you or they're going to put some sort of uh, an obligation on you to come back. And how the insurance contract works is if, the, if your insurer um, uh, puts, puts, puts an obligation on you uh, or says that the claim 
is not paid for any sort of any reason whatsoever, what will happen then is the onus is on you to prove otherwise. You see, so rather do the work up front for yourself and then go to your insurer with all of the information. So to say that I have engaged with my tenant because I've got a couple of tenants myself that I've engaged with. I've run a, 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 another couple of businesses where we've got people who pass. And I say, listen, in this one business, we're not able to fulfill our obligations in terms of uh, being there for you. Uh, but in, in, in this case, in terms of attendance, I have fulfilled my obligations, but I understand that this is a global issue we're dealing with. So how do I help you tenant so you can stay on, especially if they're great tenants? So uh, it really is coming back to the education example. Uh, it's up to you to manage your risk and then call on your insurer where, where you can't manage that risk, where you'd like to pass it on. Not just to say outright, they didn't pay insurer's problem. Absolutely. Um, and James, I've just got one or maybe two more questions for you. And then we're going to take this to Bruno and Leonora. Okay. Um, so this isn't a question. This is more, this is Howard Matheson coming back at you saying about how uh, an insurer can just change the terms of an agreement. So he's saying that's totally crazy. You know, what's the point of taking out cover if they can change the terms of that cover? So he wants to get a legal opinion as to um, you know, what's the point of having cover if an insurance company can just change? I mean, what's your opinion, James, on that? So, Howard, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Remember, I'm not an insurer myself. I'm, I'm, I'm completely independent. And this is why we've created uh, um, Sap and Drivers, to take that journey. How can they change the, the terms of the contract? Well, it's not like entering into a bond with a, with a bank and there was a, a specific transaction that happened in the past, and that can't change. Now you're obligated to fulfill the, uh, the, the, the terms of that agreement. This is an insurance contract that's based on unknowns. And um, the insurer can say, listen, going forward, I can increase your premium or I can exclude cover for these things that I no longer want to carry myself. So um, generally, they, they, they wouldn't do it unless there's more information. In terms of COVID, I completely agree with you. I, I would be really, really angry if they could go forward. And that's why I'm saying there's that gray area that exists in the, uh, in the industry to say, if I had business interruption cover before COVID came there, you, you're obligated as an insurer to, to pay going forward regardless of your exclusion. And I would, if, if, that, if it was me, I would say, well, the, um, the, the proximate cause occurred, with the proximate cause being COVID, the pandemic occurred before, yeah. um, before you, you brought in this exclusion. So, Pat, I actually don't care what your opinion on the matter is and, or what notice you gave me. So I, I completely agree with you. And that's why we have really bright intermediaries in the market. And there are some really great intermediaries, as well as the, uh, the ombudsman. And then uh, I, I myself take insurance to the ombudsman all the time on behalf of family members and friends and people that actually reach out and say, because as again, it's a, it's a generally people are lazy readers when it comes to their rights. Uh, we're some of the most protected consumers in the world with, between the CPA and the financial uh, and the banking regulations, as well as the, uh, the insurance regulations. So we need to make use of it. We need to educate ourselves. And then coming back to SAP and Drive, that's what we've done within SAP and Drive. We've taken that risk journey and uh, we, we want our, our landlords, our investors, our SAP and members to, to be protected and, and take note of everything that is their responsibility all the way through it. Because at the end of the day, we've seen insurers go out of business and people's claims not be paid. Is that unfair? Sure. That's unfair. And then, James, I mean, what's your opinion? And you may, you may or may not know the answer. And Sholfa Niekirk was asking this question. And remember, ladies and gents, if you have questions, please post them in the chat box. But let's take this last question, uh, James, and then I am going to move to Bruno and Leonora, but I'm sure there'll be more questions for you at the end. Okay. So Charles says, you know, given the times we're in with COVID-19, 
Do you think if there was, if there is a new landlord and they've got a new property and they are able to move a tenant in, you know, call it level three or level two, whatever, whatever level that's going to be, end up being, do you think the insurance companies will still insure a new landlord with the new tenant? Because there's potential that that tenant could default in the next few months. That's a great question. And I really, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad you asked it. Um, so so yeah, the answer in short is yes. Um, would they try and, uh, would, would the industry um, try and uh, impose exclusions? Certainly. I mean, they're going to protect the balance sheet at the end of the day. They are, they are a for-profit business. Um, so it's, let me give you a, a quick quick overview of how I see this going. If they apply a COVID extension or they make, try and make you pay more for an infectious disease, uh, if, if that does come into it, um, I wouldn't take that personally as a landlord. I wouldn't. I, I would take insure the tenant and then the trigger is the, the lease being uh, can, cancelled and the person not paying. If the insurer is going to go to such a granular level where they're going to say, well, wow, what, why didn't they pay? Okay, the client, the, the, the customer or the person was retrenched. Well, why were they retrenched? Well, bad financial management. Are they going to go to the employee and say, what well, is the bad financial management the fact that they like fancy cars and they didn't actually make allowance for the business to, 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 to have sufficient cash flow? Or was it a result of COVID? Apart from the person's cold, dead body being on the kitchen floor and them doing a, a, a post-mortem and, and saying, yes, it was relating to COVID, I don't know how they could prove it. So to say that these businesses and very profitable insurers are going to stop offering these risk products, certainly not. Um, Sap and Drive, we've taken a bit of a, a different effect where we turned it on its head and we, we're, we're partnering with people Expello and Expello Plus, uh, through Expello Plus products that gives you that entire journey of helping you manage that tenant non-payment, uh, which eventually ends up in uh, rental assistance as well. So, so there exactly. are are things that we can we can uh, discuss but i mean look up andrew um maybe you can i don't know uh we can we can say listen this is when sap and drives are going to be le- uh, launched and engage through that and you can access those yeah well. i'd say definitely watch the space and then james as you're talking there i can see on the, on the facebook comments uh elise larue um is saying that expello is still considering applications so sure if you're out there other landlords and you want to get rental insurance you'll see that elise larue is live on facebook with us now remember to tag your friends let them know um, that we are live on facebook now ladies and gents and remember to go to www.joinsappen.com forward slash covid19 we are recording this we, we will be putting sap and drive details on there as well as bonus somehow attorneys the details on there and there will be a recording so please um, if you are new, let us know which city are you in right now. Are you being affected by insurance claims? Um, or perhaps you're busy buying a property or you're wanting to sell a property. Let us know now in the chat box. The, the engagement we're getting is fantastic. Thank you for that. I can see Taren, you've already taken the policy out with Expello. Uh, thanks for your engagement there, Shoal. Um, who's new on the group here? It's been Madeleine. Hello to you. Um, okay, great. Thank, thank you for that, Howard. Um, but let's come over to our first question. So Bruna Samal attorneys, we have Leonora Swart and Bruna Samal. So Leonora, I think the first question I personally want to know, as well as our viewers, is we're going into level four. Um, and they're saying the deeds office is opening this Monday. Could you just tell us what does that mean for us as property investors? And then let us know What's relevant with getting, you know, tax clearance certificates? What's happening with the banks taking bond applications? Because we kind of need all of those to work together, don't we? Yes. Um, thank you, Andrew. 
So, yes, with the examination of the government gazette, it was now announced under Section O that the Deeds Registry, the Master's Office, and its essential municipal services and essential sources services uh, may start with the operations. But um, before we get all excited about the Deeds Office opening again, we must remember that before we can lodge and register a transaction in the Deeds Office, there are some other conveyancing aspects which we first have, which first have to fall in place. So um, before I address the, the, the matter of the deeds office, so in preparation to lodge documents, so let's talk about the bank. So the bank's home loan departments are remotely operational. New home loan applications are being approved. Bond instructions are being issued to the bond attorneys. Um, the bond, most bond attorneys are also working remotely, able to draft bond documents. Um, I think at this stage, our challenge is for the clients to come in and sign the documents um, with the limitation and the restriction on movement and so on. So we will have to see how we're going to move uh, and around this one. Banks are also giving their proceeds for lodgements once all the signed documents have been submitted to them. So on the bond, uh, uh, on the home loan side, that is not a problem. Transfer duty receipts, we need transfer duty receipts in order to lodge at the deeds office. SART has been fully operational uh, and we have been receiving a few transfer duty receipts during this lockdown period. So the other uh, aspect is home uh, is clearance certificates. So homeowners associations and body corporates Clearance departments are operational. Many managing agents are working also remotely and can help us with clearance applications. We don't have a problem there. But our biggest challenge at this stage is the obtaining of rates clearances from the local municipalities. Uh, the information that I have in hand is only regarding the city of Tuani, the city of Joburg and Ekuruleni City Council. So yesterday... We received a notification from the city of Tuani that they now are able to issue us with rates clearance certificates via the eTuani platform. That means that you should have had already or already received your rates clearance certificate prior to lockdown. Not uh, figures, sorry, your rates clearance figures prior to lockdown. If you have paid it, then you can now submit your figures with the proof of payment and they can now issue you with a rates clearance certificate. Now, Tuani, other than the city of Joburg and Ikuruleni, um, city of Johannesburg and Ikuruleni has for a, a, a long time already been issuing rates clearance certificates electronically, but not the city of Tuani. So maybe this lockdown period was a good time for them to get up to date with other municipalities. So at this stage, it sounds as if the city of Tuani will be able to issue certificates electronically, but we will have to wait and see whether that's going to happen. Um, the problem now with uh, city of Joburg and Ekuruleni and the city of Tuani, which we have in hand, is that they're only issuing certificates. They are not attending to new applications such as rates applications so if for all the transactions which we had new transactions where the applications has been lodged for clearance certificate of clearance figures and the figures have not yet been issued i cannot give you any indication as to when that specific department will open 
to issue certificates. Oh, sorry, I keep saying the wrong thing, rights figures. So this is where the problem comes in now. So if you've had transactions which were already lodged in the deeds office, and if those clearance certificates are still valid and the home owner's consents are valid, so next week when the deeds office opens, it will start running through the process, through the levels one, two, and three. And if the certificates are still valid, it will come up on prep and it can register. If the clearance certificates has expired, homeowner's consent and the certificates, it will be rejected by the deeds office. In terms of the Deeds Registry Act, the registrar is not allowed to register a transfer if a clearance certificate has expired. People do ask you, but are they going to give us a little bit of grace? Are they going to keep it on prep? Um, even if they do give you grace, the clearance departments are not yeah. open at this stage, so they can't cannot hold it over. So it will be rejected. So that is at this stage the biggest issue that we have we can prepare our documents we can do everything if you have figures and you paid it you can most probably be likely to get a certificate and start lodging next week if your clearances has expired you will have to start again with new applications sure um, Andrew? I mean, and just on that, Leonora, which is very valuable. Thank you very much. What happens if you a developer? So if you look at our Facebook chat, there's Howard Matheson saying that he's a developer. And, um, and he's saying, you know, and the main question is, you know, what are the essential uh, municipality services? Because he's saying he needs building control. He needs legal admin. He needs Johannesburg, Joburg water. He's going to pay. He needs his rates and clearance certificate, bulk contributions. Um, there's a whole, and he's also saying here, I also need uh, banks to send valuation people out. So there's a whole lot that I guess a property developer would need that a normal homeowner, you know, just transferring a residential property. I don't know if you have that information to hand or not. Um, I will tell you what I know. So if you think, I've just mentioned that new bond applications are being approved, which means that um, one or the other way, the valuators, they might be doing desktop valuations at this stage. Um, I think they are, yeah. Yeah, to do the valuations, number one. Regarding a developer and the approval of bonds, so developments are usually pre-approved with the banks. So it's usually just a, a credit check on the purchase holder that are usually pre-approved with all the banks. Um, that should not be a problem. But, uh, yeah, um, new They're applications, like I think, uh, I'll make your say again. Uh, and, and legal admin and building control, that, would you know that? That or? is a problem. No, I do think that I, that is not considered at this stage um, as essential, uh, essential services. Um, that is quite a problem. The thing is, I do think uh, uh, the Legal Practice Council has um, addressed uh, or issued uh, recommendations um, saying that, I mean, we cannot even... It's one thing to say the legal practice or the practitioners can start practicing, but if we don't have the support of the government institutions, such as the master's office, they say at the master's office it's for the issue of birth and death certificates. But, I mean, 
I cannot lodge, but I don't get my endorsement on a death uh, on a on a deceased estate in order to lodge. So I maybe they I don't think they gave thought to everything as yeah. to what is essential services. We are quite um, uh, uh, bricked by uh, and uh, held back to proceed with st- uh, with certain services because of this. I don't think that building plans and yeah. those departments are essential services. I mean, I, th- I think what we can do, Leonora, for Howard is um, take that conversation offline for her because he is a developer. Perhaps between you and Bruno, we can help him find out what is essential and what's not. Um, I've got a question here from Selalelo. Um, how long does it take for a clearance uh, clearance figures to expire? So the, the, it differs from um, city council to city council. For example, in Pretoria, if your clear, you have to pay your clearance your clearance figures within thirty days. For example, other clearance uh, from other city councils, you can pay within 60 days. Sometimes also what happens, so if, if you make a late payment, even if you pay late, they will say, sorry, we cannot give you um, a rates clearance. Um, your payment was late, but that might be a, a nice way of paying the old figures, even if they have expired, because that might compel them to, because what they usually do is say to you, but here's your new figure. If you pay this, I will give you your certificate. So uncharted waters, we're not so sure as to how they're going to deal with this. But each city council has their time frames and cutoff dates to say in how many days it has to be paid. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Leonora Swart from Bruno Samal Attorneys. Um, Bruno, let's come to you for, for two seconds here. Um, and just before I ask you a question about, you know, can tenants actually move in from the 1st of May? Um, there's quite a few new people joining us. Jody Moore, good to see you there in Yolanda. Uh, welcome to the chat. We've, you know, we've been talking about, uh, we started with James Paris from Sap and Drive, talking about insurance and how's the insurance industry um, surviving in the times of COVID-19. And I've been talking to Leonora about, you know, what's going to be happening with the deeds office um, in level four. So please, if you have any questions for our legal team, Bruno Samal or Leonora Swart, um, with regards to deeds office, opening tax clearance certificates, now's the time to ask it. Please tag your friends. And just remember, ladies and gents, that this is being recorded um, and this will be shared with you on our COVID-19 page, which I'm sure you have the link by now. It's joinsappen.com forward slash COVID-19, and you can watch this again. So, Bruno, um, I've heard conflicting stories here saying, no, your, your, your tenants can move, just not from province to province. And then I've heard some you know, people saying, no, tenants can't move at all. What's your take on can tenants move from the 1st of May? All right. Awesome. Thanks, Drew. Um, so, as we keep mentioning over and over and over, and I need to, again, disclaim it, this is un- uncharted territory, and the way that the regulations are introduced aren't always very specific. Um, and the common thing with regulations and legislation is it normally gets left to practical application, which in this instance is a bit of a risk, because if you cross the line, you're doing something illegal, and you could get arrested for it. So, the best we can do is have a look at the regulations, make a predetermination on you know what the purpose uh, what the purpose of the regulations are so as the minister as as the ministers were uh, were speaking at the press conference the way that it's drafted what it's uh, what it actually entails and try to come together with an interpretation of it so coming back to your question can one move around or can tenants move from one place to another on the 1st of may 
So the only regulation, uh, so the regulation that touches this would be um, Regulation 16.5. So effectively what that says is if someone um, before the lockdown uh, was somewhere else, so any person is allowed to move or return to their residence or their place of work um, if they weren't in that place when the lockdown started, and this is a once-off allowance, and once they've moved, now they're forced to stay in that place, right? So what can we tell from this? It allows interprovincial, uh, interdistrict. Um, inter uh, so all of that's going to be allowed. So a certain amount of movement will be permissible, yeah? So Bruno, just to clarify, so let's say that someone's primary residence was here in Johannesburg. Now, prior to lockdown, they were in Cape Town. Lockdown happened. Now, they're in Cape Town right now, but the residence is here in Joburg. Are you saying that yes. from the 1st yes. of March, they're saying, I once saw that individual that's in Cape Town, that's staying with a friend or renting an apartment, they will allow them to come back to Johannesburg once or because this is their residence. Is Absolutely, that what you're saying? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't have yeah. said it better. It's, um, so, and the way that it was introduced was exactly for that type of example. So people that went and decided to stay with family and friends. And now all of a sudden under level four, they're allowed to work again. Um, and they need to get back because now they need to get back to work. But how do they do that if they're in Cape Town and they need to come up to Joburg? So this was an allowance to try and just get everyone back to where they were supposed to be. Um, my assumption, particularly because when the lockdown was first introduced, everyone assumed there was only going to last for the initial 21 days. So people made very strange arrangements, um, only to realize that these aren't actually sustainable. The problem with this specific regulation is it uses the word return right and from a landlord perspective so if i look at my clients and my estate agents asking me now but can i put new tenants on the property this is where the issue comes in is if it's a return to accommodation it means that that person needs to uh, needed to have stayed at that place at some point or another it's not a new accommodation so you can't enter into a new lease agreement and move in but you can go back to the lease that you had and the, another question that arises that people have asked me is, but what if I signed a lease to move in on the 1st of April? I couldn't because of lockdown. Now can I? And it's interesting because I had this debate with Solna this morning where, where we, we, we spoke about this topic. And unfortunately, it's difficult because if there's a lease that allows you occupation of the property, it doesn't mean that you had occupation. You're not necessarily returning to it. It just gives you a right to new occupation. So strictly speaking, unfortunately, this is for people that have a residence and are simply returning to the residence. Yeah. So you can't, as a landlord, go advertise the property and some stranger knocks you and says, hey, I, I would like to rent a room or, or rent a property yeah. from you. That's not what this yeah. is, right? No. Because, but, um, but, yeah. because Howard Matheson was asking here, um, I think you know how, but don't you? He says, yeah, yeah, what happens if you tell a tenant it's at his own risk and make him sign a document to absolve the landlord of any issues? All right. So, and, uh, so obviously you didn't put it in context if that's moving in or, or, or going out. So the one, the one exception to this that I'm finding, just before we get to Howard's question, is if the person is an essential, um, essential person that is allowed in terms of the regulations to actually work, in those instances, new accommodation will be allowed. So just bear that in mind. So as a landlord, uh, somebody comes in and they're allowed to move around, you may actually be able to rent to that person if they're essential and they're allowed to move around. So that's just something to bear in mind. 
I know that the okay. hosts are quite happy with that because this does afford them the opportunity of getting in new people that are going to stay there on a relatively like medium term basis. To answer Howard's question, remember from our side, it's a little bit difficult because now we're asking whether the landlord can himself be held liable if, if this tenant was to move around. The problem is that the landlord isn't necessarily forcing the tenant to move around. And as far as we're concerned, the assumption is that the tenant can move. If the tenant is moving, he must have some right to. It's not really, we're not telling him to do anything that he shouldn't be doing. So if he organizes his permits and does everything that he needs to do, I don't see why, how the landlord can be actually held liable or be held to any sort of criminal charges. The problem is that this is, again, uncharted territory. Is there an obligation on a landlord to ask those questions? And the reality is, if you are a prudent landlord, you should probably be asking whether the tenant is allowed to move around or not. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Bruno. Um, I've got a question for Leonora here from Yolandi. Uh, Yolanda. Um, Leonora, so the question is, what is going to happen with the matters that have already lodged in the deeds office? Will they get or will they be registered or will we have to re-lodge them? If the matters are already in the deeds office system and when the deeds office opens on Monday, it will go through uh, the deeds office. They've got level uh, lodgement, preps, uh, level one, level two, level three, and then it comes up on prep. Um, if the clearance certificate in the documents and if there's a homeowners association consent that is with those documents, if those have expired the end of April, they will be rejected. I have a matter which I checked now here, a file, and mine did not come up on prep. It was at level two on the 26th of March, and I could not put it forward to register it. So this clearance certificate is still valid until the 16th of May. So when it comes up, hopefully Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, and the clearance is still valid, it will go through the process and it will just register. But if the clearances has expired, they will be rejected and the documents will be returned to the conveyancer. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Leonora. Um, I don't know if this question is for you or for Bruno. Um, the question is, uh, if, if any tenants opt to vacate premises in level four, can they and can you still claim rent? Um, and also, how will you deal with inspections in level four? All right. So um, this goes back again to what the obligations of the landlord are. If a tenant decides to leave, there's nothing you can do about it. As a landlord, you can't imprison him. You can't take out a shotgun and force him to stay. So the reality is if tenants, even if unlawful, if they want to leave, you have to let them leave. Um, so the question that normally follows from that is, oh, hold on, but we're all under this lockdown and anticipate we can't find a new tenant. So the anticipation was that all tenants that are subject to lockdown would be remaining for the duration of the period. Now, if they decide to do something unlawful and suddenly leave, that leaves me with an empty place where I can't get any rent. Now, again, this was uh, the subject of a debate between myself, Silna, and Greg earlier this morning. Um, and it's still something that we're exploring, but our gut tells us that at some point or another, because this lockdown came into effect, any lease agreements that had already validly expired or been terminated, 
and the person's only staying there now because of lockdown. One can almost argue that there's a new lease agreement that comes into place, a tacit lease agreement, that for the duration of the lockdown, um, the landlord and the tenant entered to this agreement where rent will be payable. If a person midway through the lockdown leaves and they're not entitled to leave, the argument is that a damages claim would arise, so you'd be able to claim uh, you'd be able to claim rent from them. Um, then, touching on the last point regarding the inspection, if it so happens that the person does move out, um, remember the Rental Housing Act has very strict protocols on how inspections are going to take place. And unfortunately, because of the lockdown regulations, this is now all changed because you can't go into a place with the tenant a couple of days before do an inspection because you're not even allowed to congregate, you're not allowed to travel. Um, unfortunately, there's no clear answer to this. So the best that we normally suggest is to, to try, do our utmost to try and make it work. So virtual inspections, why can this not be done? It's very easy to take a camera phone around or a phone with a camera um, around the, the uh, unit or premises, test everything that would normally be test, send the spreadsheet um, or the, uh, the checklist with the tick boxes. Everything can be done electronically. And if push comes to shove and you find items that require attention, but you don't have any idea how much it's going to cost, who's going to do it, then, and at that point, possibly reaching an agreement with the tenant as to the retention of the deposit until those items can be repaired. But it's vital that you justify exactly why you're going to retain whatever amount of the deposit you will be, because just the outright retention where you say 50%, I'm going to keep it um, until I can figure out how much the damage is. The problem with that is the Rental Housing Act doesn't allow for it. And the Rental Housing Act is there to protect the tenant from being bullied. And something like that almost sounds like bullying. So as long as you can justify and say 50% because this is normally 1,000 Rand, this is normally 2,000 Rand, which comes up to around 50%. So let us keep it to make sure that we've got enough money to repair. Mm. Um, yeah, so be a bit diligent with, with um, your approach. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, ladies and gents, I can see a few people have joined us. If you have missed most of this, we have been talking about insurance in South Africa and what's going to be happening in lockdown in level four. Remember that we are recording this live stream and you can access, access this on our COVID-19 page um, on our SA Property Network page. Let's just jump back to James. You know, James, whenever I get into a conversation with you, it's, it's all about don't wait to make that claim from insurance. It's about you know, driving the right behavior with your tenants and landlord and how can you mitigate the risk of actually having to claim on insurance claim? Would you agree, James? Absolutely. One of the overriding uh, principles of, uh, of not only insurance, but businesses is you have to act in a manner uh, where, where that you've got to act like you are not insured at all. So um, even when it comes to planning your normal business, if you go into a, a property transaction, for example, um, you, you don't go into putting an offer if you if you know that you're not going to get finance. It's about planning. Um, you don't purchase a building and take on a tenant if you know that you can't fund if that tenant isn't going to um, uh, um, be in that property for, for the, the entire duration of the lease. Although they are breaking the lease, you need to plan around that. And I think that's the key of what we're doing is in, in, in as so far as it relates to an insurance contract, 
Um, if you don't behave in such a way that you, you're not acting as though you're not insured to begin with, um, the insurer is going to say that you actually are outright um, uh, prejudicing their, uh, their rights in the contract. So uh, you've got to act as if you're not insured. You have to make sure that you mitigate your loss or reduce your loss so far as absolutely possible. Um, so yeah, that, that's the thing. So if, if you don't if you don't have a risk management plan, and if your if, if your plan doesn't support the growth of your business or your portfolio, I think you're on absolutely a anyway. And I think James, last night, you know, we 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 had our SA Property Investors Network virtual networking event, which was a massive success. And what a lot of the experienced investors were saying is they said that. You need to understand what you're getting yourself into when you enter into the property space. And you've always got to have that extra strategy. What if things go wrong? And, you know, that's why I talk about my seven golden rules, you know, rule number one, buying, you know, buying right, buying uh, buying a property and make money when you buy, not when you sell, making sure that if you are getting into student accommodation or if you are getting into multi-lets, you know, how do you get out of those sticky situations? Um, I've had quite a few comments and people WhatsApping me this morning about, well, where do you, how do you know if you're buying rights? How do you run the numbers? I've got an existing portfolio that's not performing. Can I, can I restructure that? Ladies and gents, if you did not know about it already, this Saturday between 9 o'clock and 4 o'clock, there's something called a Wealth Builder Workshop, which the Property Academy is running. As long as you have one or more investment properties, it's about reviewing what you're already having. You know, is your property before, is your property portfolio really, is, is it really performing? Is it putting money into your pocket? Is it giving you what you want? And, and this is about, let's review it. Let's restructure it. Let's then get momentum to excel, to make money out of property. And what was really interesting last night was that I did a poll. And the poll was, do you feel that now is the right time to be looking at property opportunities? 85% of people said yes. Now is the time to start looking for opportunities. And 15% said no. So if you weren't aware of it, ladies and gents, I'll post a link for you in the chat box. So have a look. This Saturday, 9 to 4, a virtual event with myself and Leroy and a few of the other property coaches will be looking at investors and helping you really restructure that property portfolio. Or if you, it may be that you know of someone that's got one property or five properties or seven properties. Um, and it's a full one-day workshop on, you know, reviewing what you have and how can you, how can you get the value out of it. Next Saturday, though, the 9th of March, not 9th of March, 9th of May, Next Saturday is a get started. So for those of you that haven't even bought your first investment property, we have what's called a get started workshop. And that is really about how do you know where to buy? What should you be buying? What strategy should you be following? So I'm going to ask my team, for those of you that really want to make sure that you make money out of property, we're going to post the link in there for you now. Click the link, have a look, because we're two days away from the event happening this weekend. And my, and my philosophy is the same as James, is how can we set up a property portfolio to mitigate the risk? How can we set the property portfolio up that if something goes wrong, that we have a slush fund, that if we need to act on an extra strategy, and the worst, you know, the worst, the plan Z, James, should be claiming on insurance. Wouldn't you agree with that? Absolutely, Andrew. That's exactly why we created uh, SAP and Drive. So your uh, insurance policy is a risk transfer mechanism. So you only insure what you can't carry yourself. So you don't insure everything in your house. You insure what you can't afford to replace. Um, exactly. And that, that's one part of it. So you, you at, at the end of the SAP and Drive journey, the last part we do is introduce insurance. 
Exactly. So, James, um, just to wrap up on your side, and I'll move to Bruno and Leonora, and we'll wrap up on their side. What is one piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners going into this weekend? Um, for me, it's insurance is there for a reason. The last thing you need to do at this point in time is cancel your insurance policy. Even if you're feeling the financial pitch, go and talk to um, your broker, go and talk to your insurer, make sure that you can reduce your premium as much as you can. Don't cancel it because the, we, we see it all the time. The people can't afford it. You're in a sticky situation. Generally, these sticky situations are temporary situations. And then we cancel the policies or your life policy or your rental guarantee insurance or whatever it is because you can't, um, you, you're feeling the pinch of it. And then something happens. Your house burns down, your tenant moves out or whatever it is, and that puts you in the hole permanently. So in these times, just be diligent. Talk, communicate with your bank, communicate with any supplier, communicate with your tenants, communicate with your insurers. Because the insurers will always favor the diligence. They'll give you the benefit of that if you're diligent and, you're, and you've got all your, uh, your A's and B's in place. Exactly. Thanks so much for that. That's James Paris from Sap and Drive. We will be posting his details on the COVID-19 page. Coming to Leonora Swart, first of all, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. And I, and I want to know from your side, um, what is one piece of advice or an opinion as to, you know, we're going into the weekend, it's Thursday today. What would you like to leave our listeners for this weekend? Um, I don't think that our listeners must be um, scared to purchase property during this time. It's good for conveyancing as well. But um, on the other hand, if you've got a transaction that is pending, uh, whether you're a seller or a purchaser, make contact with the conveyancer that's attending to the transfer of the property and ask them to give you feedback as to what the status on your transaction is currently and what are they doing now going forward. Um, uh, yeah, that is what my advice would be. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leonora Swart from Bruna Samao Attorneys. So, Bruna, coming to you, um, is, are there any last words for you from yourself or do you want to go straight into what, what's your opinion or advice for, for our listeners? Um, well, I suppose uh, I'll combine both. Um, the, the reality is that it is difficult times and we've spoken, um, we've spoken very often about doing our best to try and reach amicable solutions. Um, but the one thing that I do need to point out, and this is a, a good news from the regulations, is the directives allow are allowing the attorneys now to function at, at a greater capacity. So more matters are able to be brought before courts. Um, evictions, there is still a moratorium on, re, uh, on residential evictions, but um, the courts are allowing the hearing of the matters. So what this means, and the reason why I'm mentioning this is, as landlords, don't be despondent and just leave everything. Um, start acting now. Issue those letters of demand. Give those notices if the tenants are bad and simply aren't coming to the party. Institute the actions that you intend to institute. If you feel that this tenant is going to be difficult and isn't going to move out, irrespective of lockdown, you can already start the processes now. Get the matters heard. All that happens is you can't execute the orders. So that actual act of the sheriff going and forcefully removing someone, that can't happen during the lockdown. But getting the order can. So a lot can happen in the meantime. Um, so get that ball rolling. Don't procrastinate. Don't leave it for too long because you will regret it later. Uh, because as time goes by, it's obviously going to, it's not going to work in your favor. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Bruno. Um, that's Bruno Samal from Bruno Samal Attorneys. He's our resident attorney, tends to a lot of our conveyancing. Thank you very much for that. So ladies and gents, that's the end of the Facebook uh, Live. So please remember, if you do own one or more properties and you want to review, restructure, and gain momentum, this Saturday's workshop is for you. And if you're looking to buy your first property, then next Saturday's for you. And remember that this live stream is being recorded and you can access it this afternoon by going to joinsappen.com forward slash COVID-19. Um, otherwise, ladies and gents, myself and Dave will also see you next Tuesday for our coffee session where we just talk about property. Um, and that's it from myself. Have a fantastic weekend. You'll see the links are in the post um, if you want to access the, the workshops, or if you want to get more information from James or Bruno and Leonora, the information will be there. So have a great weekend and happy investing. Thank you for joining us on Prop Chat, brought to you by SA Property Investors Network. Make sure you visit their website, www.sapropertynetwork.com, where you will find ebooks, webinars, newsletters, training videos, property assessment tools, event tickets, and much more. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so you'll never miss a show. SA Property Investors Network, a place where property investors meet. Connect today. Expand tomorrow.